Amen. Amen. This morning, as we look to God's Word once again, we, uh, I want to continue our, our study on the book of Galatians and again encourage you to read through this book, read a chapter a day, uh, read through this book, and you will uh, glean, if I want to use the word, you will glean a lot of, uh, of lessons from from this book, and so I encourage you, take time, one book, like I said, one chapter a day, six chapters, just go through it, and you will, uh, God will bless you as you read God's word, and it'll open your eyes to Paul's heart in this letter. Again, we know that Paul is writing to the church uh, that he has started, and so he has a personal uh, investment, in uh, personal interest in this church, and uh, this is predominantly a Gentile church. They're not Jewish. They are, they are Gentiles. And Paul, as he's writing this letter, you can tell that he's a little upset. Not a little, a lot upset, actually, about what's happening in that church there. And this letter is not a polite, cordial letter because he's, he's upset. And, and he's, uh, you can use the word, he's kind of aggressive a little here because his tone is intense. But you got to realize that his, uh, this frustration is not just, uh, not really, or this anger is not directed at the church, but it's directed at a few people who he calls, uh, we call agitators in this church, who are, uh, who are spreading stuff in the church. And what is upsetting Paul, and what's at the center of it all, is that the gospel is at stake. The real, the authentic, the one true gospel is being, is being corrupted by these people who have uh, what he calls snuck into the church and are preaching what he calls a different gospel. They're preaching a different gospel and Paul is, is mad about them. And he says it, you know, if anyone preaches to you a, another gospel... Even if it's me, if I come back and if it's angels, whoever preaches to you another gospel and he's upset and he pronounces a curse on them. He said, may they be cursed eternally for preaching or corrupting the gospel of Christ. And of course, when you, we're going through that and you realize that these false teachers are, are most probably uh, Jewish people or people of Jewish origin and it seems to that they are forcing, the issue here is that they're forcing the Galatians to, yes, follow the gospel, but also follow the Jewish laws. And uh, they are, in, in, in essence, adding to the gospel of Christ, Jewish tradition and Jewish identity markers as we, we talked about it. And they were preaching that, you are yes, you are saved, you need Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. And that's one of the issues that they are bringing about. But Paul is having none of it. He says, no, not at all. Just one thing I need to say right here. That whenever, and something we need to be careful of, because we so easily do it. Whenever we read the Bible, especially the New Testament, we need to be careful not to read it from our 21st century perspective, you know. As we have Christianity as one religion and Judaism as a whole separate religion. And we really got to understand this, that two, 
and we'll, we'll talk more about it as Paul gets into it, but to the first century Jewish Christian, to Paul and the apostles, I don't think they ever viewed Christianity as a religion separate from Judaism at all. They don't, they never intended, Paul writing his letters never intended for Christianity to be its own religion. For them, these Jews, they saw Jesus as the fulfillment of everything that they had studied as Jews. It's everything that they had been waiting for. They are waiting for this Messiah and here it is. And so they saw, I mean, Jesus was their Messiah. Jesus was their, Jesus was their Jewish Messiah. And so they see Jesus as just the continuation of Judaism. That's just the next step. And then they see even the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down, as just the next step because it's fulfilling what Joel said. And so as we see, and we'll, we'll get into that a little more, but we've got to really understand that as we read Paul, we've got, Paul addresses that. As we read Paul, we've got to realize, and as we read the New Testament, we've got to realize not to make this difference and separation as we have it today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so, Paul is so passionate about preserving the truth of this gospel. And we saw that initially, that he's so passionate about it, he came up with his own word, basically. You know, a word that can't be translated, basically, not his own word, but a word that can't be translated into English. And we saw that in verse 11, where he effectively says, in the English we say, the gospel that I preach to you, but we realized and we looked at it last week, in the Greek, it's simply, it would really say the gospel that I gospelized you with. It's the same word. And so he's focusing on the one true gospel. And verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1 were the key because they lay the foundation of this next whole section. And we studied how the, the point Paul is trying to make is, is twofold. The gospel that I preach to you, or the gospel, in his words, I gospelized to you, is not. And here's the two points. First of all, it's not from human origin. It's not from human origin. It has nothing to do with man. And on the other side, it says, it's all about revelation from God. Revelation, it is this gospel that I preach is not from man, but it is by revelation from God. And he emphasizes this point. As we go through this, you see that he emphasizes this point, that gospel is not from man. The gospel is not of human origin. The gospel has nothing to do with man. And he emphasizes it uh, throughout the letter. And we look at a couple of points again as he does that. And then in verse 13 and 14, he tells his story. How he basically persecuted the church. That's verse 13. And then verse 14, he kind of gives an answer into why he's persecuting the church. And uh, he, it gives that, those verses 13 and 14, 15, 16, kind of give us insight into what we call his whole conversion experience of what happened to him when he, when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. One thing I need to say there, because... I remember learning in children's church, very often we slip that in there. And we always thought, you know, he was Saul and then he met Jesus and all of a sudden his name was changed to Paul. Now we've got to be careful with that because I don't think there was a name change there really. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name, or if you can call it, 
Okay, who's Paul ministering to most of his life? The Gentiles, right? And what would they know him as? Paul, and that's why. So be careful. I know we, like I said, in Sunday school and children's church, it just, just gets slipped in there. Not that it's going to take away from anything, but just God didn't change his name from Saul to Paul. It was his name. It just something that he was called because he was ministering to Gentiles. That's what he was called. Anyway, we got to realize oh, this whole experience that he had is, is, can be summarized, this whole conversion experience, because he knew, Paul knew the law. He knew, and he was, it says that he was zealous about the law, zealous about protecting the law. The law that, you know, the law said what? Whoever dies on a tree is cursed. And so Jesus died on that cross, that means Jesus was a cursed man. And that is why he's mad at this group of Jews who have now started following a man whom Jesus, I mean, who God has cursed. And so that's why he's getting mad about this. You guys are following a man whom God has cursed. And Paul is zealous about this. And then he has this absolutely amazing encounter with the risen Christ on that road to Damascus. And this morning, I want to propose to us just a couple of things as we view this experience, or if you view, if you can call this Paul's conversion experience. And I know this is something I briefly touched on last week, but we need to view Paul's conversion not as so much as a change from sinner to saint. Yes, even though that is what's happening, but we can't view it as that. But we've got to see it as the revelation of Jesus Christ in him the revelation of jesus christ in him where he says in verse 15 but when god who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased and verse 16 it says to reveal his son in me it's a good i mean the word there is not to me he says revealed in me and so we've got to realize that Paul's conversion experience was more in terms of a, a light bulb that suddenly went on inside of him. It just turned on, this light. And suddenly he has this, man, everything that I've longed for, everything that I've looked for, everything I've been so zealous for, here it is in Christ. And that light just goes on in his, in his, in his life as such. Everything that I have desired is captured in this aha moment. And as I was reading that and studying that, I, I was thinking again, I would have loved to see his face when that light bulb went on. Many everything I worked for my whole life and all of a sudden, boom, this is it. This is it. And I was trying to figure that out and I was like, man, I was just smiling to my face. I mean, in my <laughs> smile on my face as I thought about that. I think part of that revelation is the realization that Jesus wasn't the object of God's wrath. We were. He was. Jesus merely took his place. Yeah. All this while he's been persecuting because he says that man is cursed. And suddenly part of his conversion experiences he realizes that, hey, Jesus wasn't the object of God's wrath. I was. He just took my place. That's what blew his mind out. That's the revelation of Jesus. In him, we were supposed to die on that cross. 
I was supposed to die on the cross, but he took my place. I think part of that revelation is understanding that the cross was no longer a symbol of a curse. The cross was in fact a symbol of life and hope to all who would believe in it. And you see this, the wheels turning in his mind where he has to come uh, balance everything that he has learned to what now is being revealed to him. And it's an absolutely amazing moment. The revelation of, of the son in him just blows his mind away. And he also realizes that the revelation is all because of God's grace. All this life, if you remember, he says, trying to do what my father's, the tradition of my father's, his whole life, he's been trying to earn it and pursue it and get it and achieve something. And he realizes at the moment that Jesus is revealed in him that there is nothing good in me that deserves Christ, except that it's his grace. Amen. That's why he says there, called me. In verse 15, he says, called me from my mother's womb, called me by his grace. Hallelujah. I think that, that word, I mean, it, it's a big word for me in my life and my walk with Christ. As Christians, we understand that a lot more and we ought to understand that more. But that's one of the things I think that hit Paul as Christ was revealed in him. He realizes the grace of God in its fullest for the first time ever. He didn't deserve it. He wasn't even looking for it. But it's by His grace and His grace alone. And He talks about it a little later. His conversion experience on the road to Damascus, Christ was revealed in Him where He realized for the first time the real purpose of the cross. It was all because of His grace. But also realized that that same experience He had on Damascus Road set into motion His calling once again to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what he says in verse 16. Verse 15 and 16, and we talked about it last, uh, last week. He's using the imagery of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the quoting almost in the same words that while we were still in our mother's wombs. Uh, verse 15, let's look at that real quick. He says, but when God, chapter 1, verse 15, but God who set, when God who set me apart from my mother's womb called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And so this experience just changes His view of Christ, gives Him a new appreciation for what grace is all about, but also it's His commissioning. This is what God intended all the way back in Isaiah and Jeremiah where they use the same exact language and He's using the same exact language. God has called me to preach to the Gentiles. Amen. And I'm grateful for that because we, I don't know how many of us have Jewish roots, but most of us are a product of someone who heard God's call to preach to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. He uses that language. And that's why I kind of stopped last, last week where he calls, calls Paul to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And now let's, let's keep looking and I, let me just say something. As I look around, I can tell most of us, if not all of us, have had an encounter with the risen Christ. Yeah. 
it's been unique, and it's not, thank God, it's not the same for everybody. But have we had, have we really had that same kind of experience now that we have met the risen Christ? The risen Christ that it totally, totally changed his life. That's the challenge, church, for Paul, the revelation of Christ in us. And we say we have had Christ revealed in us. That revelation radically changed his life. Can we say the same thing today? That revelation of Christ in my life has radically changed my life. Transformed my life. In my former life, I was this. But now that Christ is revealed in me, this is who I really am. Please understand, again, I'm not talking about sinless living. I'm talking about a radical call to follow him. A radical call to follow him. As we follow Christ, we start to walk according to the word. And the Holy Spirit begins this work of sanctification in our hearts. Please understand that when we encounter Christ, he doesn't say, okay, okay, now go live perfect lives. He doesn't say that at all. All he really says is, follow me. Now, have we been faithful? Follow him. To follow him. Have we been faithful to that? Have we walked in obedience to his word? It's a call, like I said, and I kind of emphasize this enough. It's a call to enter into a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't let your conversion experience be just an experience. One blip in your life there back then and mean nothing to you right now. The call is into a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul understands. He tells later, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. How can we call people to follow Christ unless we ourselves are following him first? Follow me as I follow Christ. Please understand, as we work through this relationship, it's the, it's, it, as we, let me put it this way, as we pursue our relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit, that's when the Holy Spirit begins His work in our lives. Again, it's not about, and Paul says this, it's not about following the law, it's about what? We have our own Christian laws. It doesn't mean get saved and follow all these new laws that the church has put out. No, it's about being saved and following Christ all the way. Amen. Anyway, picking up, sorry, verse, verse 15 and 16, he says, I preach to the Gentiles and then see what he says, uh, if I, I guess six, 16b. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Again, these two verses are keeping in line, are very much in line with his main purpose of the letter. This gospel is not from man, but by revelation from God. And so what's his initial reaction to this revelation? He says what? I did not talk to any man. 
proving his point. This gospel is not from man. So I didn't consult with any human being. And then he says what? I didn't even go to Jerusalem to see the apostles to see the apostles or talk to them. Why is this important? Because again, of course, he's referring mainly to the disciples of Jesus. They were the ones who were the primary teachers of this gospel all this while. They were the ones who were teaching and preaching this gospel. But he says what? I didn't talk to man. I didn't even go up to Jerusalem to talk to them. So this gospel could not be from man. It has to be from God. That's what he's trying to say. The same thing. The gospel I gospelized you with. Is Christ revealed in me not something that someone had to explain to me? Not even the disciples. They didn't tell me about the gospel. What did I do? I went to Arabia. I went to Arabia and then later to Damascus. And it's here that most scholars believe that it's this time that Christ really came alive in him. Christ really came alive where Paul realized, you know, he's been so zealous and he's learned everything there is to learn in Judaism and finally he finds this fulfillment in Christ and here he's spending time in the presence of the Holy Spirit making these connections and the gospel is being crystallized in his life there. It's beginning to make sense. Spend time unpacking everything that he has learned as Christ is revealed more and more in his in his life, and I know I touched on this briefly because people have used this verse, and I've heard sermon, at least a couple of sermons, where people have used this verse to say, you know, the Holy Spirit will teach me everything. I don't need to learn. I don't need to hear any preaching. I don't need to learn anything. The Holy Spirit will teach me everything. I don't think Paul is trying to say that at all here. Because later on, Paul learned stuff from people too. Because, I mean, the passage we read during communion, what does he say? I pass on to you what was passed on to me. It shows that he was taught by someone else. He learned from someone else. So it's highly unlikely. I have an issue with people say, I don't need church. I don't need any preacher. I don't need, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit will teach me whatever I want to do. All I got to do is read the Bible. But very often they don't even read the Bible. That's just an excuse. But Paul is not saying that at all. All he's trying to say is that Christ came alive in my life. It wasn't. And this gospel that was revealed to me was not from any man. It came from God directly. This gospel I preached to you. And then verse 18, it says, Three years later, three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas or uh, Peter. And stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the brother, uh, the Lord's brother. I show you before God that what I am writing is no lie. So Paul is not learning anything, or if I should say this, Paul is not getting this gospel from any man, but it's only three years later he goes to get, and the word used there is get acquainted with Peter. But again, he's trying to make this point here. I'm, I didn't get this from man, I was only there for how many, how many days? 15 days, I only met Peter, and the other person I met was the Lord's brother, James, too. Peter and James. And he's trying to make the point here, hey, Peter and James didn't really teach me about the gospel. He's using the word acquainted here, which we need to realize is more the understanding about them filling him in with the story of Jesus Christ. I mean, I can, because I, these were the 
these were the two people who walked and talked with Jesus for three years. If anybody knew about Jesus' life, it was this guy's. So what he was indicating, what Paul is trying to say here, hey, they didn't really teach me about the gospel. That gospel came from God. What these guys did was get acquainted. They told me about the life of Jesus. And I can picture, you know, Peter saying, hey, you know what? One time we were on this boat. We were sailing across the sea. And, you know, and the storm came up. And we were freaking out. And we thought we were going to die. And Jesus was just asleep there. And then he woke up. And we had to wake him up. And then he just stood up. And he just told everything to be quiet. And everything was quiet. That's what is happening in this. That's the indication. That's what's implied here. You know, I can think about another time. He says, you know what? Peter is telling him again. There was another time we were going and Jesus was somewhere else and we're going across this lake. And all of a sudden, guess what? We see him walking on the water. And then I got out. I opened my big mouth and I got out and I started walking again on water too. But I didn't last too long. (laughs) And that's the indication here. That's what he's implying here. He got acquainted. Peter, filling in the details of Jesus' life, staying away from this whole idea that the gospel came from man. The gospel came from God, not from man. And he's trying to imply that here. And, then, and, and, and he's so forceful to imply that. Verse 20, he, he says, I assure you before God that I, what I am writing is true. He is, the closest thing is, it's kind of odd, but he is literally saying, I, uh, and I know he says, don't swear in the name of the, but that's what he's doing. I swear to you, I promise what I'm saying is true. This gospel is not from man. It's from God. And he's using very strong words where he's, like I said, he's making this oath as such. What I'm writing is true. This is it. I promise you, the gospel I preach to you is from God and not from man. Not from man. Verse 21, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. You know, and there, once again, it's pretty simple. They didn't know him. The whole point he's trying to make here is, yeah, I, hadn't, I haven't been there. I hadn't been there before. I didn't know them. They didn't know me. So he's kind of rounding up his argument here because you got to think how he's, he's uh, he says, no man taught me this. He's talking about his experience. And I, I, I think about uh, Philip and the Egyptian eunuch, you know? He's reading the scripture and all of a sudden, Philip, the man, comes alongside and explains the scriptures to him. And so Paul is saying, no, not, no man has taught me that. N- nothing like that happened to me. No, even the disciples, the guys who were authority, they didn't teach it to me. And here he's trying to say, even church, because I've not been to that church there. They didn't teach it to me either. So he's rounding out his, his message right there. This gospel I got is definitely not from man, this revelation of Christ in me is from God. Yeah. Is from God. Yeah. I didn't get the gospel from them. And this is kind of interesting here as you go on and read that, that small passage there. I personally uh, was not known to the church there. All they knew was this. The man who formerly persecuted is now persecuted us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. The people hadn't seen Paul. He hadn't seen them. But when uh, when they did meet him, 
what they did see was the work of the transformation that comes when the gospel gets a hold of someone's life. Amen. That is the witness. What did the people hear? They heard about the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which took a man who was persecuting the church and transformed it into a person who was now preaching that faith. That's what they heard. They heard the story. When they saw the evidence of a transformed life, what did they do? They praised God because of me. Now that begs the question, something we ought to apply in our own lives. Has the gospel really transformed your life in such a way that it is clearly evident to all those around you? Because that's exactly what happens here. Now we've got to challenge ourselves with that. Is the transformation that comes from the Holy Spirit as we spend time in God's presence, as we spend time in His Word, as we spend time amongst His people, is that transformation that happens clearly evident to others in our life? I heard this saying a long time back, and I know I've said this, and it's something I, I really like. If Christianity were a crime, is there enough evidence for them to convict you? Guess the simple question is, is Christ in you clearly evident? Is Christ in you clearly evident? I know I say this also. People can deny Jesus. They can doubt the Bible. They can deny the power of the Holy Spirit. What they cannot deny is your story as an example of the transformation that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. They can never deny that. They can deny everything else, but they cannot deny your story when it's authentic. You can fake it and they'll see right through it. But when they really see it, they can never, never deny it. Anyway, Paul, after his conversion, goes to Arabia. Then he goes, uh, uh, and then it says he goes to Jerusalem for 15 days and then again to the churches in Syria and Cilicia. Going to chapter 2, it says, then... After 14 years, just the first two verses, and we'll, uh, I'll close with that. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also, along also. I went in response to a revelation and, and meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, esteemed as leaders. You're talking about the disciples mainly and the elders in the church. I presented them, I presented to them the gospel that I had preached among the Gentiles. I know the translator has put a chapter division right there, chapter 1, and he separated it with chapter 2, and I kind of wish that uh, they hadn't done that because it kind of uh, interrupts the flow of what Paul is trying to say here in this letter. And, but I understand why, why, he, why they do it, and I'll explain that pretty soon. But if you look pretty closely upon, uh, upon how, uh, how this letter is flowing, you don't have to know Greek to know this, but just look at verse 18. He's talking about this main issue is this is not a human thing. This is from God. And then he's explaining what's happening. Verse 18 starts with the word what? Then. Then I did this. Verse 21. Then I went. Verse 20, I mean 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Again he says, then after 14 years. And so you see there's this, this continuation in his thought right there. And 
they, they just had to separate it because of what's happening next. But you see this, he's continuing his argument. What's at stake? The one true gospel, the gospel itself, the real gospel. And now Paul, if you come to chapter 2, Paul is, literally if I can use the word, he's really getting mad and upset right here. You know, this gospel, it's not from man, it's not from Jerusalem, it's not from any church. And he's further distancing himself from this whole concept. He says, I didn't go back there for 15 years, but when I did go back there, I went with Barnabas and I took Titus with us. Now that small sentence, I took Titus along with us, is, gives us the clue that he's getting to his main point. That's his main issue that he's here. And he's going to, if I can use the word, he's going to lose it a little. Paul is going to lose it a little. And Paul is, like I said, Paul is upset. And you think about this. When you get upset, you often don't care about grammar. You don't care about sentence flow. You don't even care about punctuation, right? You just got to get your point across. And that's very similar to what Paul is doing right here. And I don't think we give uh, the gospel, the Bible translators enough credit. Because the Greek here is insane to try and translate. It's really, really crazy because Paul is using half sentences. There's no punctuation. There's no breaks, nothing. He's just letting them have it. And the poor English translator has to try and make sense of it so that we can understand what he's trying to say there. And actually, it's, like I said, it's really almost a nightmare to, to translate because Paul is not worried about it. And uh, just a couple of things I want to point out right here. If you have uh, the NASB or the KJV. I know some of the modern translations don't do that. But if you look carefully as you read chapter 2, you'll see that some of the words are italicized, actually. Some of the words are italicized, and there are a couple of portions where they're in parentheses. Now, the italicized words are more about what the translator, the English translator, has had to put in so that we'll understand what's happening. Okay, I know some people think that's, you know, it's an italics means it's emphasized. Not really. That's just the English translator to make sense. So that we'll understand he puts that in there. And also the parenthesis sometimes is, is a commentator before or in, 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 in inspiration on the Holy Spirit. Kind of has to explain what's really happening here and they kind of put it in there. And so you realize that the Greek here is really kind of, it's intense because he's expressing his frustration. It's not really clear, full-blown sentences. But what I want to point out is this, Paul saying, I had no intention of going to Jerusalem at all, but after 15 years, I went in response to a revelation. And that's a key word right there, because this revelation, it's more to do with like a prophetic word, or more to do with that experience of, with the Holy Spirit, like Peter had, you know, that vision about what something happened. Paul had no intention of going to Jerusalem and talking to these guys, but it's the Holy Spirit working in him, prompted him. To go to Jerusalem. And you see here that this is, this is what we see. Again, it's not from man. This meeting that I went to is not from man. It's from Revelation. Again, something that came from God. And that's why I went there. And of course, this is further proof that the gospel is not from man. But uh, let me close with these points right here. You see here Paul's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. For all he was preaching and all the accolades and all he was gaining, you know. You see his sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That when, and obedience, when the Holy Spirit told him to go, even though he had no intention of going there, he still went anyway. And so you see that in there. You also see here, and I think this is really beautiful, the Holy Spirit prompting him, and the whole sake is for the unity 
within the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't want Paul to go do his own thing and Peter go do his own thing. The Holy Spirit, I think it's a beautiful display of where the Holy Spirit is like bringing unity within the church. It's the same gospel. It's the gospel from Christ. Paul, and I think you see Paul's humility here too because Paul, Paul is used to doing his own thing. But you see Paul's humility here where he comes and in essence he's going in and talking to the elders in Jerusalem. And so you see, you see a sense of Paul's humility and if you want to say Paul realizing, you know, I, I'm not here preaching the gospel just to do my own thing. He gets the bigger picture. Yeah. We are in this together. The apostles, me, we're in this gospel together. It's the same gospel. The gospel is to be reached, preached to the whole world. And he gets that there. We'll pick, up, we'll pick it up in, uh, in verse 3 and keep going from there. But just rounding up my sermon, I guess, realizing once again Paul's intensity in, in talking to his church to hold on to the true gospel. Remember and realize for us today, this gospel is not a man-made gospel. It's a gospel given to us by revelation of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit. Realize, I think another lesson we learn is your story, your life has to be evidenced. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit has to be evident wherever we go. That's how people will praise God, by seeing the change and the transformation in your life. And then you see also here Paul wanting and, you know, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Even though he doesn't want to do it, the Holy Spirit tells him to do it, he still goes and does it. Promoting unity in the body, a sense of humility and submission. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you once again, Lord, for... Thank you for this, your word of God. And we see Paul laying it out to God, his passion, just laying it out there on the line, Lord. That there is no gospel except for the gospel, the one true gospel about the death and resurrection of Christ. And those who believe in him will not perish. That's it. Challenging, God. I pray you challenge us, the Lord, as we meditate on your word, God. Even as we go through this book, God, keep speaking to us, God. Different ways. Speak to us uniquely, God. But God, God, again, God, I just pray. Transform us. May we just be more than just hearers of your word, God. But doers of your word. Whose lives are genuinely transformed. As you reveal yourself in our lives as we meditate on your word. Thank you, Father, once again. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys. Hallelujah.